0: Well, let's kick things off tonight with a very special guest, FA CEO James Johnson has been good enough to join us for a pre-recorded interview here on The Global Game. Uh, Lots to discuss, including the news that the governing body has called for expressions of interest for the new National Second Division slated to start in 2024. James, thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. You're welcome, Simon. It's great to be part of your show. Uh, let's start off by talking about the National Second Division. Uh, the EOIs have been called for. Have you had any indication as yet? And obviously the news is is pretty fresh as to how many will answer that call based on the criteria.
1: We, 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 what we know is we've had uh, over 400,000 people that have engaged uh, with the social media announcement that we, we put out. So we've been able to measure that, which is uh, extremely high. And we're not surprised because... In the lead-up to the EOI, it has been a, a topic uh, on the tip of the tongue of, uh, I think, most of football, and something that's important uh, for the country, and it's something that's important for us as the governing body uh, of of the code. Um, we will have to wait and see at, till the end uh, of the EOI as to what the real level of interest is. But that's what the purpose of the EOI is. Um, we know it's a it's a popular discussion, um, particularly over over, over coffee. Uh, we know it's a, a a popular topic on social media but we need uh, clubs um, that are interested to put their money where their mouth is and that's what the eOI will tell us um, once that eOI uh, finishes and it's it's open for um, for just over a month um, that will help us inform us uh, into what the league will look like and then we would enter into an RFP based on the knowledge that we would Um, uh, We develop through the EOI process. So let's see what what, what it comes up with. But from um, everything I've seen to date, there is uh, exceptional interest for this to go ahead.
0: The competition is proposed to be between 10 and up to 16 teams, home and away, to run in winter. Uh, I guess the biggest question is whether this is going to be viable at a time when the top division is hardly uh, burning down any trees off the fields, and, and whether they become competition for each other rather than complementary.
1: Yeah, look, we, we've really tried to steer away from it becoming competition with the A-League. It's, it's actually the opposite. It, it needs to be complementary to the A-League and also the NPL and the broader uh, ecosystem. Uh, and that's why um, we, th- this competition is really predicated on uh, a winter competition Uh, one that's really going to be focused on uh, sporting merits and one that will be uh, deeply engaged with the football community. And that's one of the reasons for setting the calendar uh, at the same time as community football and NPL. Um, I don't think it will compete with the A-League. I think it will be uh, complementary as to whether it's viable or not. This is why we're going through this process. Um, In the event uh, we reach a point where there's not sufficient um, uh, interest in the second tier, then you know we can look at alternative models like a Champions League model. Now that's not our preference, um, but we do uh, want something that is uh, viable. And if we can have a um, second tier league with ten to sixteen teams, home and away played in winter, that is our, our preference. But this process will test the viability um, of that vision.
0: Of course, what a lot of fans around the country are calling for ultimately is promotion and relegation. Uh, which you've stated in your uh, press release, it's slated to occur, in inverted commas, once the league matures. Are there any strict timelines on that? And is it limited by the fact that the A-League clubs in the top division have licences at the moment that don't expire until 2034?
1: Yeah, look, the focus is, is
0: just on setting it up. So we have a second-tier competition
1: uh, which, which can give them more match minutes playing time to young Australian players, to give more opportunities to coaches and referees. So we, we've got to set it up first. Um, and then I think this, the, the sequence then is, well, if we want it to be based on sporting merit, uh, which we do, um, how long after we establish the competition does that come into play? I think given the calendar is in winter, I think the natural sequence is to open up discussion once the second tier is established Um, on having an open system with the NPLs. But that's something that we need to discuss after the second tier is established. And then connecting it with the top tier, being the A-League, that's something that would need to be discussed um, with the A-League clubs. Uh, It hasn't been discussed uh, up until this point, um, something that at the appropriate time in the future uh, probably should be discussed. But that also needs to be discussed together together with the overall calendar um, for a three-tier Uh, competition structure in Australia that we would have in place at that time
0: so at the moment as it stands you haven't had those discussions with uh, the ALEX, the APL uh, regarding this uh, second division uh, and how perhaps the two competitions might align uh, in the future do you have a read on what their feelings are about the national second division
1: we have had conversations about the second uh, tier competition, no. just not specifically about promotion relegation between the A-League and the second tier. But there have been numerous conversations um, with, uh, with, with Danny uh, and also with, with some of the owners as well. Um, and they've been very supportive of this concept. So there are discussions about, as we introduce a transfer system, um, how can we ensure the players that players aren't getting enough match minutes? Um, And that's a great model. It's great for players. It's great for clubs um, because if, you know, your three or four players that are under 23 that are not getting matchments in the A-League don't play during that season, they could play uh, in the second tier if they're loaned to a second tier club. I think that's where we'd like to land. It's something that would help the APL. It's something that would be good for the second tier and it's something that's good for the rest of football.
0: Do do they want B-teams in the national second division? And just as a follow-up to that, how, how far down the line are you in implementing the domestic transfer system across the board, which I know is your desire. So with the EOI,
1: um, we've tried to uh, open it up as broadly as possible. So there's no preconceived ideas on whether um, the applicants should be um, existing clubs or even uh, new clubs. I mean, that's something we wanted to let the market uh, tell us. Um, So we've tried to be as open as possible on that. Let's see uh, what interest comes in. The second
0: question, Simon. Or the second question? the d- domestic transfer system. How how far it's, down the it's, line? It's
1: it's progressing well. So we we have uh, transfer windows now. We have um, we have uh, loan loan system that is in place. We've uh, permitted transfer fees uh, outside of the A League and into the A League. Um, we've got. Um, uh, agreed in principle a new training compensation system that we'll issue shortly, and that's been agreed uh, together with the APL clubs and also the NPL clubs as well. Um, so that is all coming together uh, quite nicely. I think we've got the the foundations, if you like, for a transfer system, but the big discussion made uh, between A-League clubs, um, that's the final piece of the jigsaw puzzle.
0: I uh, just want to throw a couple of Twitter, Twitter questions at you from uh, our listeners. Um, you probably answered the one from Vincenzo Hotdog <laughs> as to whether the EOIs are only available to current clubs or potential new clubs as well. I, I'm taking it that they're, they're open to everybody. Uh, Brooke Correct. Griffo asks, uh, what are the plans for a second division for the women's competition and will FA take a percentage of revenue from the men's second tier and how will that be reinvested?
1: So so the growth of the game, both on the men's side and the women's side, there there are different stages of development. Um, So on the men's side, in terms of competition development, focused on rebuilding the Australia Cup um, last year, and I I hope all the listeners um, could see the the interest in in last year's Australia Cup. I think it was, I'm pretty confident to say, it was the best Australia Cup um, we've ever had. Um, The progression for the men's side is is the second tier, and that's been something that, you know, possibly could have been done many, many years ago. It hasn't, but that's something we want to do now. Um, I think on the women's side, the the focus um, for us would be on a Women's Australia Cup. Uh, And that's something that, as part of the Women's World Cup legacy, we would like to introduce in the coming years. And that's a good thing for the women's game because we already have a top-tier league. We don't have a cup competition. And that's important um, as the AFC introduces a Women's Asian Champions League. And it's important because, you know, it would be good to have uh, two avenues into the Asian Champions League. One is through the top tier league, the A-League Women's, which is obviously closed, and then one through the the Australian Cup, um, which, which uh, in theory is open to all clubs uh, across the country. So that would be the focus
0: for the women's game, not second tier. Okay, um, let's move on to the FIFA Women's World Cup, which of course is not too far away now. Uh, the announcement by FIFA that Saudi Arabia is going to be a major sponsor of the tournament, um, was that a surprise? And and if you had discussions with the governing body about that, Cody Adesia, by the way, also asked that via, via Twitter. It was a
1: surprise, Simon, and it was something that we're um, uh, unhappy to be surprised uh, about. Um, we found out through uh, third-party uh, information that this may be occurring and our immediate response was to ask for confirmation that this wasn't the case. And that's when everything uh, blew up, uh, quite frankly. So we're, we're unhappy that uh, we weren't involved uh, in, in any consultative uh, process that uh, uh, seems to have led to this decision. Um, so we're unhappy about that. And if in the end there has been a deal done, which we're still waiting information on, but at the moment um, we're unhappy about the way that we found out about this deal evolving. Um, If the deal has been done, we'll put out another statement, but we need to get the information before we make that statement about what it actually is we're dealing with.
0: Okay. Um, Let's move on to a different topic. Uh, You've just reappointed Graham Arnold, of course, as the Socceroos coach for the next four years. Um, Jackery asks, what are the KPIs he needs to meet? And why was the contract not until just after the Asian Cup so he could reassess after that major tournament?
1: Well, look, we, we, as part of our... um, new national team system. Um, we're always reassessing uh, performances at major competitions. So we, we did very well at the Mentor World Cup, um, whether it's Matilda's Socceroos or our youth national teams, we do review the performance uh, And the objective of doing those reviews is to continually grow the, the program. So that's already in place, no matter how long a contract is um, for a coach. Um, for Graham, uh, yes, we did a deal for the World Cup cycle. And and that's, um, I think that's uh, normal in in, on the men's side. Uh, and the reason we did it is because the Men's World Cup on the men's side is ultimately the, the biggest competition, the one that we want to be competing in and performing at our best um, once we get to that point. That's why there's a um, three and a half year contract uh, in, in this cycle, because it's a three and a half year process. Um, look, we'd, we'd love to see uh, Graham and the team win the Asian Cup. We think based on the performances in Qatar, uh, we've got a good chance. Of course, there's a lot of good teams, Japan, Korea, Saudi, Qatar, they're all good teams, um, but we think on, on any given day, um, we can compete and beat these teams. So winning the uh, Asia Cup is a focus. Qualifying directly is another focus. Um this year is an easier process to get to the Men's World Cup, so qualifying directly um, is something that we're asking Graham to, to focus on, and we believe that he can. And then uh, getting to the World Cup, I think we're at a point now, um, this is a personal view, but it's something that we're going to talk um, more publicly, we, we've got to move the dial, so it's not just about getting to a World Cup. Um, I think we need to change the discussion of thinking to how do we progress uh, in the Men's World and that's something we've not been able to achieve um, as a game, and we, we we can do things like we can play um, top uh, opposition more often, and that's something we've seen uh, on the women's side, and that's something I'd like to see on the men's side, so that it becomes normal to play against the Argentinas and the you know the Perus uh, and, and and the Denmarks leading into a World Cup, because ultimately they're the teams you're playing if you want to progress in a major tournament like the men's World Cup.
0: Okay. Just a couple of final ones to finish off uh, with James, if you don't mind. Uh, Tim Jenkins asked this, do you agree with Graham Arnold's and Mark Schwartz's comments regarding the lack of funding for football and how far away are we from a proper home of football? I think that obviously there is one slated to be in Melbourne, the home of the Matildas, but uh, maybe you can give us an update on what, what else is happening.
1: Yeah. So look, this is a, this is a very nuanced conversation. So I'll try and break it down. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the home of the Matildas. That's a facility that it's it's over 100 million dollars in value, uh, and that will be focused on the women's side. It'll be part of the women's World Cup legacy, and that's a that'll be a world class, high performance facility that's based uh, in Melbourne. So we need to distinguish the home of the Matildas, which will be built uh, by the middle of this year, by May actually, um, from the broader home of football conversation, which uh, is something we would like to have. The broader home of uh, football would be somewhere where uh, all national teams could be based, predominantly the, on the men's side because we have the home of the Matildas in Melbourne. Um, it'd be somewhere where we like uh, would like the community uh, to be able to play community games. We'd have a high-performance training facility and our administrative offices. So that's the vision for the home of football, that's something that we will ramp up um, uh, as we lead into the New South Wales election because it would need to be, funding from both state and also um, the federal government. On funding in general, I think this is the other part of Graham's comments, which are fully endorsed by Football Australia. It's the high-performance funding. And at this point, the Socceroos do not get $1 from Sport Australia. And the reason behind that is because the way the funding model works for high-performance in Sport Australia, which is decades old, is it focuses, first of all, on Olympic tournaments only. So the Men's World Cup is actually not considered important for the purposes of high-performance funding. And secondly, it's your, um, uh, your, your, your probability of meddling at the Olympics. You know, it's it, we're not probably going to get a gold medal anytime soon, and that's the way Sport Australia really look at it. So our view is this model really needs to be flipped on its head and we need to look at uh, more competitions like the Men's World Cup that brings 2 million people together in Australia. Um, and they're those moments that bring the country together. We need to look at um, our competitors because governments, in even in China and Japan now, are investing uh, millions and millions of dollars in their national teams.
0: Okay. Uh, ju- just a final one. Um... We know that the FA doesn't run the A-Leagues anymore, but I I do wonder if you have an opinion as the regulator, the overseer, if you like, of the national club competitions as to where they are at at the moment, particularly on the back of a rather controversial decision to sell the grand finals to Sydney and, of course, the current furore surrounding afternoon kickoffs and the intense heat, uh, which appears to be placing a fair bit of pressure on the athletes and the fans
1: yeah look i think uh we, we need to remember uh simon that the apl it's it's an it's an it's a new body and it's a new governance system and it might be easy for me to say this because i've been through these uh on on many times in different countries but you, you normally find that it it there are some teething issues when you unbundle a league um it's a new role for the league to play and it's even a new role for football australia to play um so i think um, i would like to to say that um, I think we need to give the APL uh, time before we, we assess the performance. Um, the league is at a very um, high level on the pitch, but I think it's got some um, some challenges it needs to solve uh, off the pitch. and And I'm comfortable that this will happen uh, as as the uh, APL get get used to running the competition. I think it's all fresh, it's all new. You know, our view is we need to support the APL in in any way we can, and, and that's
0: what we'll be doing. James, really appreciate your time today. I know you're a busy man, but uh, thanks for spending some time with us here on The Global Game.
1: You're welcome, Simon. Have a great day.